listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. Good morning. I don't know about you or Stephen, but man, I needed that this morning. I needed that reminder of his grace, his goodness, his mercy, and his, his, his hope. Uh, if, if you had a, a difficult week facing difficult times and difficult situations, man, I want to say to you, man, Jesus is with you. He sees you. He sees you in your hurt, your brokenness, or your pain. He sees you in your celebration. He sees you in your, in your wins as well. Uh, and we are, we're here together to lift up the name of Jesus. And this is Stephen. Stephen Brown is our, one of our resident pastors. He's going to be preaching in a few more weeks, right? Somewhere in there. That's what I told him. He's going to be reading the scripture. I'm going to introduce kind of where we are, where we're going. We have been in this series called... Uh, what is it? What is it? Foundations. There it is on the screen and in my notes. But uh, we're in the series in 1 Corinthians. We've been mapping through that last week. Kino did a great job at commissioning our graduates and, and preaching to us uh, that, that hope of salvation and that life we're called to live. We're back into the book of Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 7. And uh, this has been a time of celebration. And so you can turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I have some of my family here, both my in-laws, my, my parents and parents. And the parents that birthed me, uh, they're here. Yeah, and my mom uh, is here. She, so just bear with me. Uh, bear with her. <laughs> She's here. So we graduated our son, and it was a great weekend. And so it's interesting to have a graduate now. Uh, but uh, through that celebration, we had a great time. And so, uh, but I'm so thankful for my family and their support and them being here. But looking through chapter seven, Stephen, we're going to be looking at uh, some unique stuff. So the first part of that chapter, we look at um, we, we look at what what Paul is teaching the church there in Corinth. He responds to a letter that was sent to him by the church. And the first part is about unity and disunity and how to handle that. The section we're in, in now is, is sexuality and lifestyle and how that affects your home, how that should, should uh, uh, be an important part of, of your reality as a Christian and in marriage and all of that. And we're going to finish that section out. And Stephen is going to read a very long section of scripture. We're going to be looking at chapters, uh, chapter 7, verses 8 through 38. And so we just finished looking at uh, how important the gospel is in light of our marriage. Now we're going to look at uh, some other groups of people, not just those who are married, but those who are single, those who are widowed, those who might be uh, bond servants and others. But just to kind of give you a reminder of that context is remember the Corinth church is in a very immoral pagan culture. They were embracing practices as these, as these believers, these new believers were being removed from, from uh, pagan practices. And they were rewriting their story uh, through the lens of the gospel. And some of them were beginning to embrace some of the lifestyles and bringing them into the church that, that uh, weren't really that godly. They had to, Paul had to rewrite some of their biblical values for the home and for church practice, which is what we're going to be talking about in chapters 8, 9, and 10 about can you eat food that's sacrificed to idols, you know, all of these things. But here he's dealing specifically with uh, these 
extremes of culture, like we respond to when it comes to how we bring application to the gospel. Sometimes we get the extremes of, of what Paul was teaching in the earlier chapters of, well, you're, li- you're liberated to do whatever you want. It was this attitude that was brought into the church of, you know, uh, do what you will. It's, not a, it's okay. Uh, liberty and freedom. We talked about that. And Paul was saying, no, that's not what the gospel's about. And then the other side of that was this extreme uh, sense of asceticism, which is this extreme legalism. Like, no, you have to deny your flesh completely. You know, everything about your life needs to be modified with this religious, pious cloak and, and this, this, this idea of, of uh, legalistic rules. And, and you have to deny everything of the flesh. That even means you, maybe you shouldn't even be married because that would be sinful. And Paul's like, no, 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 let's bring some balance here. Let's look at your life where he has you and bring gospel application there. And that's kind of where we find ourselves. And so he, he goes through a fast litany of a number of different people in the church because he's responding to direct questions from Chloe who wrote this letter to him. And so that's where we find ourselves. And Stephen is going to read these 30 verses because I didn't want to. No, (laughs) I wanted Stephen to do that uh, because I wanted to continue to uh, model just the plurality of our leadership. So Stephen, come on over. I'll get my Bible too. And you won't have to stand during this time. We'll let you sit during the 30 verses. All right, read with me. Starting in verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife? whether you will save your husband, or how do you know husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man because of the Lord. Likewise, he who was freed when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers... In whatever condition each was called, let him there remain. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think 
that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you be, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present from this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, it has to be. Let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does, do, does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Good job, Stephen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Give me a hand. Yeah. Give me a hand. Normally, I do not handle 30 verses in one sermon because we'll be here until about three o'clock. But when you look at the narrative that Paul is outlining here, it is almost in a way trying to answer this one concept that will land at the end of our time together. But uh, also, he has this run-on sentence kind of uh, feel to it. He's trying to uh, answer this whole section. So as I was beginning to prepare for the sermon, uh, I realized this, this is one large thought. Although he's incorporating a number of different topics on marriage and divorce and, uh, and, and purity and passion and, 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 and all these different uh, concepts that we're being dealt with in the church here in Corinth, uh, we, we'll bring some, some highlights to these uh, in our time together. But our, our first point this morning is this. If you can look back in verse 8 and 9, I know that might be several pages away in your Bible. But in verse 8 and 9, our first point is Jesus is our only answer to freedom and peace. Jesus is our only answer to freedom and peace. Now, Chris, where would you get that? Where do you see that? Look at verse 8 and 9, those first two verses. Paul is teaching the church there uh, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, that it is good for you to remain single as I am. And remember, I had taught in our last time together that many scholars believe that Paul was a widower. He had been married at one time. Uh, in order to be a Sadducee in that uh, culture, you had to have some of those uh, prerequisites. And so many believe he was already, but stayed unmarried because of his devotion to the Lord. So he says, as I am. Verse, eight, or verse nine says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. That's why I got married. And so, but, and many of you, the spirit of the Lord did not give me that same spirit that Paul had. And so like many of us, uh, we, we are married. 
Before it is better to marry than to what? Burn with passion. Verse 8 and 9, Paul is being very clear and very vivid that there is a valid, oppressive, and intense spirit of sexual desire if left unhealthy and left in a very uh, dysfunctional place. In other words, Paul's saying, if you're enduring this burning desire, and remember the context here, you had the, the liberation movement of everything is, is okay. And that was brought in through the culture. And the, the, the knee-jerk response to the church and those who were like, wait, 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 no, that's not an option. Went way over here to asceticism, which is this r- religious uh, legal rules. He's saying basically if you're burning with this desire for someone that you're maybe betrothed to or you have these longings it's, and, and you're trying to prove something with this false pious asceticism, stop it. Just get married. Because marriage, Paul is saying, is the biblical and right and honorable way to deal with passion and sexual desire. The the desires that the Lord gave us as a part of his his identity, a part of of his nature. And in churches, a lot of times you you hear about the, you don't hear from the the, the vantage point from a Christian perspective that uh, sexuality is a good thing. It's a God-given gift. But what Paul is saying is getting married does not, and I repeat, does not contain or conquer the lust of the flesh. Marriage does not and will never conquer those lusts. And that's why he goes on to talk about the spiritual gift, like we talked about in the first seven verses of chapter seven, the spiritual gift of self-control. That's why... Paul teaches as as well for the leaderships in the church to say, you need to be a one woman man. You need to have eyes for just one person because lust is never conquered by or can be fixed by being in any relationship with someone else. Nor will you ever be complete or whole because you met someone other than Jesus. Jesus is the only person that can bring wholeness and completeness in your life. And that's the landing that that Paul is trying to get to in these first several verses. And we're not gonna have time again to exposit every verse and take apart every aspect of the word here. And we're gonna highlight every section but the big meta narrative of this first half is that that the spirit of self-control, not willpower, not saying I'm strong enough, that, that was that false asceticism that had snuck into the church, this religious behavior modification, that if I willpower myself to religious uh, reform in my own power, in my own willpower, one, I'll have this pious, arrogant cloak of self-religious uh, Um, achievement that I'm leading my life in. And instead of relying on the cross and the power of the gospel for my life to be transformed into his likeness, I'm now returning to an Old Testament practice. If I'm going to keep the law, I'm going to be a Pharisee and and have that Pharisaical spirit. And he's saying, no, that you miss it. You're missing the power of the gospel. 
It is by the, not your willpower, that you have victory and a pathway to freedom, but it is a spirit of self-control. One of the, the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, these things, self-control, I'm sure I missed one in there. But it's one spirit that he's given us. But this spiritual control is what he's trying to land to. But he's like saying, hey, listen, don't try to deny yourself in some kind of pious, arrogant state that you say, well, look at me. I'm more holy than you because I can have self-control. I don't have to get married. You're completely missing it. He's saying, Paul's saying, listen, I would hope that you can be like me and dedicate my, your entire life to Christ, whether married or single, that you can be like me and have the gift of self-control. Because that is the pathway of victory and freedom because of the power of the cross, which transforms us into his likeness. This is why Paul encouraged in what Jesus taught, this, this spirit of fasting, this practice of fasting that I hit on earlier in our last sermon, is he's talked about that in the first part of chapter seven, about these times of fasting, because normal spiritual practice of fasting produces growth. And when you, when you fast, it places all of our appetite under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Not just your, your appetite for gluttony or appetite for the lust of the eyes, which is covetousness and wanting things that you shouldn't want, and or the, the pride of life of, of, again, what the church in Corinth was struggling with was this, oh, well, look at me, my achievement, my goals, my aspirations. The reason why I, I do the things I do for spiritual gain is actually for pers personal edification instead of Christ crucified. We're the living hope, the answer, the supernatural work of God in us in the lives of others. And, it, and that was being blocked in the church. Religious legalism blocks the power of the Holy Spirit just as much as the demonic powers of this world try to block the work of God. And so Paul was illuminating that in the hearts and the lives of them. And he begins talking about in the first part of this chapter in our last sermon that the appetite is able to be of sexuality and sexual desire to be under control. You can be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Marriage is the single and the only place where that satisfaction can be found, but not if that person is your value, your identity, and your hope but in Christ, in Christ alone. That's the order, when he is on the throne of your heart. So when we are fully under the leadership and control of the Holy Spirit, our sexual temptation and our sexual appetite is under the authority and the control of the Lord. Well, Chris, thanks. Now, how do I do that? Three things we talk about here all the time. One, it starts with community. There's a, there's a need that we have for one another to live in accountable community. So if you're writing notes down, one is be willing to reject toxic secrets and to live authentic. Here, here's who I am. I mean, you guys know I've only been your pastor for maybe a year and so months or so, uh, and you know some of my, my struggles and my story. You know my, 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 my struggle with anxiety and temptation I get angry with my kids. I get frustrated with my wife. She's always right, and she is. It just makes me mad. 
I am susceptible to sin. And if I don't have strong walls of accountability, and we have a pastor advisory committee that serves as a representation of our body with me every month we meet. And every time we get together, I, I tell these men, please, you have the liberty and the freedom to ask me any question you want. I have a coach and a mentor who does the same thing. We meet every other week. He has the liberty to say and ask me anything he wants. And in that confessional living, I have a chance to reject toxic secrets and to live authentic, or I can hide because of my pious, arrogant cloak of religious behavior modification or I can walk in liberation and in freedom and in victory and operating in the spirit of self-control by having strong walls of protection around me and then my appetite is under control so in community reject toxic secrets number two Live confessionally. You can, you can all day long be in a small group or a D group that we have here, or you can come here, but if you're not living confessionally, uh, you're just, again, presenting something in, to someone that you're really not. Because if you don't have problems or issues or sin struggles, man, I, wanna, I need to figure out how you're Jesus. Like, you're, you're perfect, and you are the third person of the Trinity, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we walk in the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. But until we're with Jesus, we're going to struggle with sin because we live in a fallen and broken world. And the third way we walk in this self-control, this pathway to victory, and this freedom that comes from Jesus is feeding your spirit by abiding in prayer and in the word. Feed your spirit by abiding in prayer before Jesus and in the word, in private time with him. Reject toxic secrets, live confessionally, feed your spirit through the word and prayer. And this happens in community. Our our sexual integrity is paramount. And we're talking a lot about this because if you can break the book up of Corinthians in several sections. In this chunk of section we're in, Paul is addressing these things. And so we're naturally going to be hitting on those things. But do you know the, the Bugatti car, one of the Bugatti cars? I got some attention from some students right here. I was able to f- drive at 257 miles an hour in 2020. 257 miles an hour. I'm not going to admit, yes, I will. I've gone 125 miles an hour illegally, and I should have been arrested and have my license taken away from me because that would have been the right thing to have happened with, sorry, Dad, without a helmet on a motorcycle. That was dumb. Yes, thank you. I admit my shame. I should be shameful. That was so, so dumb. It was. But I, I remember that feeling of getting it up to that speed, thinking I think I, it's going to go crazy. Things going to fall apart. This morning. But multiply that by two and plus seven miles. That is crazy speeds in the Audubon in Germany. But they have built a road that has no speed limits. 
It's wide, it's incredibly well built, it has guardrails and it has guidelines and, and that's exactly what God had intended for us when it comes to our sexuality. It was meant to be experienced at high velocity, incredible God-given gift. But what we like to do is take a God-given gift and use it in an ungodly way. We wanna step outside the boundaries of what God has given us in our sexuality, redefine sexuality, completely room the, uh, remove the guidelines and guardrails that scripture has outlined line for us. And then, and then we, we use a God-given gift in an ungodly way. And we want to know why we're in the ditch, wrecked in our uh, sexual identity as an individual or as a culture and completely stuck and unable to really look through a lens of, of, of correct biblical understanding of what was meant for our sexual identity. Maybe you're dating and you're stepped outside of God's guidelines and guardrails for you and you say, well, I, I think I can do it my way. And so you go do it your way and then you take a Bugatti that was meant to be an amazing supercar on this particular context within the guidelines and guardrails of scripture and you go do your own thing and then you, your sexuality is destroyed and then you're confused and you don't know what to do to get out of it. Live confessionally. Abide in the word. Reject toxic secrets and the lie of the enemy. And that application is not just with those who are dating or single or married. Or just with our sexual identity. It's, it's with any God-given gift that's been given to us. Is when we use the gifts that he's given us within the framework of, of his design and his plan... It is incredible, liberating, free, amazing, and worth it. Then we look at verses 10 through 16, and I'm not going to exposit that in depth because we taught on this issue twice, one in the book of Mark, two earlier in the chapter of, of, of Corinthians. But he deals with divorce and how to handle that and what to do, and Paul basically in verse uh, the first part of 10 basically reteaches what Jesus is teaching. It says, not I, but the Lord teaches. He teaches it from Matthew 5. And then he says, not the Lord, but I. Talks about how to bring practical application to those things. And he's saying basically stay with your partner if, if at all possible because you are the significant gospel agent in that environment. Remember, many of these individuals were being rescued out of basically sex trafficking for religious purposes in the temple that was there in Corinth. They were coming to Christ and, and, and some of them were still were even married in that trade. And they were coming to Christ and, and, and they were hearing the teachings of scripture and they're like, well, should I, should I divorce my non-believing husband or wife? And he's like, no, listen, you are the gospel agent in your home. You are the answer for, of salvation in that situation. And so that brings us to point number two, and that's this. And he begins this narrative in verse 17. God, God is sovereign. God is sovereign and knows your struggle. Your struggle and your difficulty and your pain has not been missed by God. And that doesn't just go for those who are having marital struggles or have walked through the, the devastating and difficult byproduct of divorce, which Jesus and Paul both teach that 
He has a rescue plan for you. But look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my role in all the churches. Remember, he's teaching specifically, particular context to the church in Corinth. And then he illuminates this, which was a universal truth that he was trying to teach across all churches, which brings truth to us even today. But their circumstances, they were, some of them were now unevenly yoked which we hear about a lot in scripture and Jesus teaches about that, that you should marry another believer. But if you've come to Christ after that, there's a very good chance that that wasn't missed by God. He foreknew that he knew you were gonna come to Christ. So could it be that God's purpose for you is to reach that unbelieving spouse? Or maybe it's not a marriage that's unevenly yoked. Maybe you're a Gentile in this context. All Gentiles were basically non-Jews who hadn't practiced some of the Jewish ritualistic processes of circumcision. And the Gentiles like, well, I guess, what do I do? How do I, do, do I need to change the outside behavior or modify who I am? And Jesus, Paul says, no, stay as you are. Or maybe you were an indentured servant, or that time a bond servant is someone who willfully said, I'm going to put myself into uh, servanthood because uh, I, I'm unable to make a living, I'm unable to be sustainable, and that was their, that was their assistance that, like our government right now has when it comes to helping those who can't help themselves, those who are uh, uh, facing financial ruin and difficulty. Instead of having to live on the street, you could be an indentured servant into a home. And he's like, stay there, but if you can be liberated, do so. Or you're promised to be married. Basically, he mentions a number of things that they were struggling with in that day. And for us, Paul's saying, don't try to undo those. Accept the calling he has given you. Stay where you are and use that opportunity. Now, Paul is clear when it comes to the, the marriage covenant. He says, if there is agreeability if in, in we're not talking about situations that are abusive that where you're unsafe in your home or or where you're experiencing significant uh dysfunction and unhealthy practices he's talking about a marriage that is willing that both parties are willing to stay is what he's talking about Jesus often called his disciples to difficult situations, but could it be that you were there in your circumstance because he has a kingdom purpose for you? Maybe for us, it's not these exact situations, but the application is the same. Maybe you're just unhappy with your job. Or you're mad at, the, at God. You're just mad at God because of the family he had you born in. Maybe you're the only Christian Maybe you're a student here and your whole, you have family that don't know the Lord and your parents don't know the Lord or they're not coming to church with you and you're like, why, why, God? Or you do have a disconnection in your marriage or you hate the school that you're going to. Or you're just bitter about the particular situation you find yourself in. Could it be that instead of always looking at the grass is greener on the other side and to say, okay, God, why do you have me here? 
right now? What is your plan in my midst? I remember we were wanting to sell our home over here off of Rockwell and Northwest Expressway. Our first home that we moved into Oklahoma City. So excited. We did a bunch of renovations and put a bunch of sweat equity in the home. And then we began to realize uh, uh, we got broken into. And, uh, you know, I was in my backyard one time studying for seminary on a Friday. And I got to see someone walking by my window. And he has, white, he has blue gloves on, like a backpack and like a little hoodie. I'm like, you a medical professional or you're wanting to take my stuff? And so I chased him off. I was so brave. I, I, I ran out the front door. He climbs over the back of my fence. I go, I go up and I'm like, hey. He's running off. I go, I saw your face. That was so, so, I don't know what I would have done if I interacted with him. I probably would, but I would have been running. That was all I could come up with. But I remember our, our front of our yard, you know, you guys know how great of a parent I was. You've heard me talk about my kids running in the street in their diapers and a you know, neighbor carrying my kid over going, hey, here's your kid. He's in the street looking at me like I'm a horrible father, which probably I was by letting my kid run the street. But the other one was over here trying to eat like worms, Evan. And I, you know, I was trying to keep him from doing that. And so our, our street was super fast. Cars would just fly through there. I'm like, man, we got to get out of here. I'm, I'm tired of this house unhappy, backyard's too small, trees dropping annoying things on the ground. I know. Thanks, Abigail. But then we started to put our house on the market and we couldn't sell it. Then we had our house like under contract and it fell through and all this. I'm like, what's going on? And the Lord said, Maybe you're there for more than the, the house you're in and the kids and so forth and so on and the backyard that's too small. Maybe you're there for a kingdom cause. And he was. We had the chance to minister to a neighbor across the street, which I think I've shared this before, but Bridget was hurting. Her husband left her. We had a number of gospel conversations with her. And we, we try to live intentionally. We try not to drive into our garage and shut it behind us and kind of sneak in and like, okay, no, one's, no one saw us. So, no, we try to live out and, and meet our neighbors and talk and knowing that our neighbor is, our neighbors are our mission field. And so we just begin to do some care ministry, helped her kind of liquidate some things and clean her garage out and share the gospel. And she would say things, you know, yeah, you know, I, Kind of raised kind of Catholic. I believe in God, and I try to share the gospel a little bit more intent, intently. And you know, just oh, I got to go do something. And Christy took her groceries one time uh, when when she was hurting, motor grass, and then one day she comes over. I walk in the house. And Bridget and Christy are sitting on the couch. I'm like, oh, something cool's happening. What's happening? And Bridget said, I just need what you have. Man, I need Jesus. Like, that was the easiest, like, journey to salvation I've ever seen. Like, I, you, you're coming to me asking me to lead you to Jesus. Well, what do we do? We just loved her with the love of Christ and cared for her in practical ways. Shared the gospel, wasn't pushy, but the Lord told me, this is why you're in that situation. 
I took care of your kid. He didn't get hit by a car. But he has you where you are, not so you can whine and complain about the circumstances, the situation you're in, the family you're born to, uh, the school you're in, the job you've got, whatever the situation you're in. He doesn't have you there so you can just want to complain and say, maybe God, give me my best life next so I can, maybe, maybe you can bless me so I can have more. And then subconsciously, truly what we're trying to do is just have more. He has you in the circumstances that you find yourself in because he wants to share the hope of Christ with the people around you. In your school, at your workplace, in the career that you've got, the family you have, the situation you're in. In the neighborhood you live in right now, he has divinely put you exactly where you are. And Paul is saying, listen, don't try to change the circumstances. Use it for my glory. God is sovereign and knows your struggle. And finally, point number three, everyone, all are called to an undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 32 and 34. Now he addresses specifically the beautiful picture of singleness. But the landing Paul gives is wherever you're called, you have a undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 32, Paul's teaching the church, I want you to be free from these anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided like mowing the lawn, picking weeds. But he says the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord only and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about Worldly things, how to please her husband. But Paul teaches that marriage has natural responsibilities, natural additional responsibilities. And, and, and marriage, isn't, it's not one or the other that uh, you have to either be single or be married. Paul is teaching that, listen, uh, like me, I remained unmarried so I can devote myself completely to the service of Christ. That was the call that he had on my life. Paul taught that the, the church in Corinth that singleness is something to be admired and esteemed, in fact. He said it's actually good. If, in verse 35, he says, being able to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord, living gospel-centered. In verse 38, he goes on and talks about that, that you'll do well if you get married, but even better if you can remain unmarried. Well, this is not the normal standard for our Christian servanthood. It is something that we should admire in the church and support. But the truth is, in our culture today, when we look at the singleness in our culture, usually it's, what's wrong with you? You haven't gotten married yet? Or you're less of a person if, you're, if you don't have a, a mate. Or you're, you're not a whole person. And this is really an issue in today's culture, in today's church context. We don't know what to do with you, or where do we put you, where do we place you? Paul says, no. 
It should be admired and esteemed for those who are single. If you want to be married, okay. But let the Lord use you where you are now. So the, our church and churches should not look at them as, what do we do with the weirdos? Because that's, that's, if you're honest, that's sometimes the attitude we got. And if you're not married, well, I don't know where to go. What, what do I do? Man, no. You have a kingdom cause. You have a kingdom purpose. You're not less of a person. In fact, Paul says, better for you. I think you can be used for some incredible kingdom purpose for the season. Maybe you'll be single your entire life. Talk about my youth, my youth minister, Lisa, a lot. She was incredibly impactful in my life. Still single today. I don't know how old she is, in her 60s now, maybe. She didn't want that, but she, she began to accept that. And man, the, the impact she had on my life. Incredible minister of the gospel. But it's something that we should admire. And in fact, when we look at the scripture, Paul lifts it up as, as noble. And so sometimes, whether it's the church and how we view people, or whether it's your own personal uh, kind of thought about it, well, maybe what do I fit in? I, I kind of feel awkward, maybe an out, outcast. No. Let Jesus use you now for greater kingdom impact. Or maybe you're a widowed or a widower. Maybe you're a single mom. We see you and he has a plan for you. He wants to use you for kingdom work. You're no longer retired if you don't work anymore and make money. You're given a kingdom cause, a new season of being able to use your life to exalt Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever position you are, remain there until Jesus makes that change because he has an incredible plan for you. Every person in our church, regardless of your generational demographic, your social status, whether you're married or single, your career path, your education achievements, whether you're a high school graduate, dropout, you have your doctorate, you have the same gospel call in your life. And you have the same valid purpose as anyone else. He wants to use you, regardless of your lot in this life, what you've been given. You have access to freedom and hope and, and a kingdom cause. Because if Paul, who was Saul, persecuting Christians, had his hand in murdering Stephen, can rescue his life. And even if you're here and you are, you've murdered somebody, God wants to use you. In your story, and here's, here's our landing, your story, including your struggles, God wants to use. He wants to use who you are. 
doesn't want to make you like the person across the aisle or in front of or behind you. He wants to use you exactly how he made you and the plan he has for you. Now, he transforms us into his likeness, but he uses your social status and your context and your personality to bring people to the saving grace of Jesus. So don't be embarrassed by your past. Or maybe something in your life is too painful and you're tucking that way as a secret that you don't want anybody to know. Man, there's someone else that feels just as lonely as you do, just as isolated as you do, just as defeated as you do. And the lie of the enemy is saying, you're all alone. See, nobody loves you and cares about you. But if you'll lay that at the cross and say, listen, I'm humble enough to say, man, I'm, this is who I am. This is the baggage I got, and, and I need help. That's the place that this church has. You have a place here. That's God's story. He wants to bring hope. We land with the gospel this morning. We sang about how we're free from anxiety and free from shame and oppression. And Jesus brings liberation. He paid the price for your sin. He died on the cross. He became your substitution. And if you'll put your faith and your trust in him, you can be made new and restored. Does it mean we don't have troubles? It means we can have peace through our troubles. Does it mean he's going to change all of our circumstances? But he's going to give us grace to endure those circumstances so that those who see our circumstances around us will be pointed to Jesus and they will have hope in Christ as well. He takes anxiety and gives us peace. He, he fills our fear, he replaces it, and gives us joy. Jesus breaks strongholds. It's the song we sang. And brings freedom. Jesus breaks strongholds. I don't know your story. I don't know your circumstances or your situation. But we find contentment in Christ and Christ alone. Not in our sexuality, not in a marriage, not in a job or a situation, but in Christ alone. And when you find that, you'll find liberation. 